Okay, hello and welcome to this session on um, practical <laughs> inquiry. Thank you for coming on a busy term and a busy evening, I'm sure. Um, we'd like to welcome you, and I'm also going to say a quick thank you to all the teachers and schools that are here presenting alongside me and the team from the School of Education. It's going to be a pacey session, so you're going to have to bear with us as we go through. Please feel free to tweet and take um, pictures of the slides. They're there for you to consume as you see fit, probably after this event. So I'm going to say we are going to be keeping to time and trying to keep the pace up. Um, the other thing I should say that we have a free raffle. Everybody loves a raffle. Is that Peter Kay? Um, and it's a free one. So um, Education Scotland have bought six copies of our book on which you can go read up more of this stuff. Um, and so if you write your email addresses on the back of your badges when you, as you leave and put them in the hat. This was Willy Wonka's hat when I was a teacher. So if you put it in Willy Wonka's hat then as you leave, then we'll pu pull out um, six winners at the end of the evening. Okay? Added bonus. You didn't even know. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to do a brief introduction to my thinking about practitioner inquiry. And then um, the team from the School of Education, Anna, Jonathan and Philip, are going to do a bit about why they think research engaged is really important. And then we're going to hand over to um, five um, settings, um, four secondary schools and one family centre, to talk about practitioner inquiry, not about their projects particularly, but more about what they're learning from being involved in a practitioner inquiry approach. Okay? And they're different models that we're going to be sharing. So I'm going to be standing up and down a bit like a, a jack-in-the-box introducing different people, and bear with us as we go through this. We're trying to cram a lot in on a busy evening. Okay. So... A lot of this thinking comes from the idea that classrooms are complicated and teachers, by their very nature of managers of that complexity, are asking questions all the time. If you focus on any one of the children in your class, at any one time, they could be learning something slightly different and in a slightly different way. And so therefore, as you go through your day, you're going through multiple cycles of inquiry, asking questions, did that work? Why did that work for so-and-so and not for so-and-so? What was it about that thing that worked last week but didn't work this week? And questioning, okay? So our model of inquiry comes from this idea that teachers are constantly asking questions. And if you're asking questions, then you're likely, at some point, to head towards some kind of research. And I'm not talking research with a capital R, but research as a, as a process of scientific engagement with what's going on. And that might be engaging with research, what is written, what's in the journals, what's being written by other teachers, but it might also be in the process of inquiry yourself. <laughs> Elaine, who's down the front here, who wrote the book with me, um, we'll be having her say in later on in the today, but she wrote a paper where she talked about the importance of the synergy between engaging in research and engaging with research and how the two work in a sort of symbiotic relationship. Teachers should be reading about stuff that's going on in the world that researchers are doing and then trying to apply it in your classroom. And so we need that two lenses of exploring what's going on and then testing it out and seeing whether it works in your setting to solve that question that you have. And we need both of those working together. Now, what's really nice is that in Scotland, that is more likely than anywhere else that I've worked and I've talked to because of the professional learning model and the privileging of inquiry within what the GTCS and Education Scotland are asking you to do. 
I was one of the people behind this model, and I think it's really powerful, this synergy between learning by inquiry, learning as collaborative, and building knowledge and understanding. It speaks to me in a way that makes supporting teacher learning something that is integral to our practice. All right? And the key messages I'm going to be talking about today are how answering these questions should be part of your practice. It shouldn't be extra. It shouldn't be something that's relegated to evenings or Saturdays. It should be something that is part of your everyday work. What's nice is that with this professional learning model, it's not just a thing, to, pretty thing to go look at. It's not another green and blue diagram from the Scottish policy um, organisations, but it's actually meant to be a tool. And so what you can see is this version has questions starting to enable you to prompt your inquiry thinking in each of these categories. Now, I don't think this is live yet, Jack, but it's on its way, is it? In the next few weeks. In the next few weeks, it will be live, so you're getting an early taster of this idea of it being a tool. And what we're seeing in some schools where this model is being used is they're starting to use this, these questions and this structure to inform update conversations, to inform ADRs. So therefore, inquiry becomes part of your professional learning story. This model should become a tool with which you can engage with the questions that are important. The other reason I'm really pleased with this diagram is it has in that centre the relationship between you and your learners. Too often, practitioner inquiry and professional learning is something detached from the needs of the students in your classroom. And so this model puts that relationship right at the centre. And that's going to be a key message today around practitioner inquiry and the learning that's going on, is about how we are focusing on what you see as the important needs of the learners in your setting. Let's start professional learning from that point rather than from what the head teacher says that we need to learn. So it's a bottom-up model we're talking about. Now that bottom-up model has been established in literature on professional learning for quite some time. So Helen Timperley did a review, um, a systematic review of professional learning and brought out 10 different um, agendas for professional learning. Her first one was that it needs to have its origins in student learning. We need to be asking questions for our professional learning that, is, that are prompted by what our student need. The other one I like, and I think it's useful to have in there, is the work of Agris and Schoen. So, so Schoen is Donald Schoen, as in the reflective practice guy. But he talked about practitioners' theories of learning. So instead of thinking of theory as this big thing with a capital <laughs> T that only academics and big um, people like Vygotsky and Piaget are doing, they talk about theories of practice that are around about how we operate in our classroom. All of the people in this room have theories of practice around how a lesson should start, around how an environment should be set up for, for learning. If you come into one of my sessions, whether I'm teaching five-year-olds or 25-year-olds, you will find my students working in groups. That is one of my theories of practice. It has its roots in a big theory, but it is one of my theories of practice. And I will use that consistently. Not every time, but it is there. I also have theories about how the dialogue starts. And it's useful to think about those theories as a useful starting point to what, what are my core principles that I'm using in my classroom. What I also like about practitioner inquiry is it supports an active standpoint. It supports this idea of doing something different, taking a risk, acting on your reflection. Too much reflection on its own is bad for your health. You know, if you just keep reflecting, then you'll just get irritated. You need to be able to do something with that reflection. 
So practitioner inquiry supports you in making a change, in giving you a, a way of doing something to improve based on those kids' um, needs. And the final one I want to bring up is going back a bit, and that's John Dewey, and the idea of teachers engaging in pedagogic inquiry. So I'm going to emphasise the fact that there is methodological inquiry, there is um, research inquiry, but this is pedagogic inquiry. It is around thinking about teaching and learning. And I think that's a really strong message to get across. Now that's a challenge, because we are living and working in a policy environment um, where the discourses of research are very strongly empirical and positivist. So we are hearing language of evaluation, we are hearing language of impact, we are hearing language of experimental design, we are hearing language of systematic and meta-analysis reviews. Now I'm not against any of those things, I think they're really important lenses and provide us with a good best bets on what works in education, but they are not the only type of research. And actually, if you're researching in your classroom, all of those models of research are really difficult to do in an effective way. Because if you're researching in your classroom, on your practice, you are active in that. You can't be distanced. You can't be removed from the situation. And all of those models of research presume a certain amount of distance from the researcher. So that's a real challenge if you are a practitioner inquiry. So instead of beating ourselves with our stick of not achieving evaluations and quasi-experimental designs and control groups, actually we should embrace those other types of research that are out there. We need to start talking about practitioner inquiry as something that is alternative, additional, complementary to those big picture research techniques. All right? So my argument, our argument, is that we need to make a bridge between pedagogy and methodology. We need to start with a definition of research that is complementary to what practitioners do every day and think about how our knowledge as teachers and experienced teachers who know a lot about our classrooms can use. So rather than putting all that we know aside, we need to build on that and use that as a starting point. We are experts in eliciting information from students. It's what we do all day. We find out what our kids in our class know. And actually, that's what a lot of qualitative interpretivist research is all about. Finding out what the kids in our class think and know about this thing we're interested in. So if we need to, we need to use those skills we have as a teacher more. So there's pedagogic tools that work just as well as a research tool to explore that. If you're working with five-year-olds, a questionnaire is not the most pedagogically appropriate thing to use to explore what they think. You know that as a teacher. You know that. However, suddenly you put that research word in there and you think questionnaires is what I've got to do to be proper. And that's what proper researchers do, so that's what I'll do. Don't. Trust yourselves. And I think we need a model of research where teachers trust the knowledge that they have and the experience that they have. So some starting points for practitioner inquiry. It is about those, those questions that you have, about those things that bug you. Some people call it about the itch, the stone in your shoe, although it doesn't have to be the boulder in your shoe. It doesn't have to be the massive problem that is everything, all right? It can be just a bit of gravel that's just irritating you. Why is it that Charlie, on a Wednesday afternoon, cannot concentrate in that double science in my P4 class? If I solve that problem, 
it will be so much better for Charlie, and it will so be so much better for the rest of my class, and it will so much better for me as the teacher. Why suddenly do we think, because we're doing research, we have to take over the world and we have to take on something that is massive? I'm going to explore the whole of S1's opinions on maths. Really? Is that doable when I'm under everything else you're doing? Let's think about what is realistic in terms of um, what you really want to know and how an answer that's so. So there's lots of different things that you can start off thinking about. And I'm going to emphasise this. It is not about world domination, all right? There are no prizes from the GTCS that I'm aware of for taking over the world with your research. And certainly, whenever I've tried, it's not worked for me. Um, it's about better understanding the practice in your setting, better understanding the teaching and learning that's going on in that moment in your classroom. So one example, and this is a real example of someone I worked with. So this is a teacher who was basically starting with the question, what is learning? And it's like, well, if you solve that, then John Swinney's out of a job, so am I. And, you know, it's impossible to solve because learning is something that is going to be changing and adapting and it's different. It's one of the joys of teaching, that learning is different depending on the day of the week, depending on the class, depending, yeah, depending on the story. So we pinned it, and you can see here a funneling process as we tightened up what this teacher was looking at. And I think that's important, again, that we try not to take over the world, we try not to fail at this, that we do something and find a question that is answerable. And answerable is not just about being focused, it's also being manageable alongside everything else you've got to do. And that means choosing evidence that's not just those traditional research evidence, it's also about data collected as normal practice, it's about data rising from teaching and learning, and it's about data that can be incorporated into school. So stuff that is complementary, not adding to your list of things to do. Okay, enough from me. I'm now going to hand over to Philip, who will quickly talk about his view on why being research engaged is important. Thank you. Thank you, Kate, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I won't talk for very long uh, at all, really, but I just wanted to show you this slide, um, which sort of brings together some of the things I was involved with before I came to the University of Strathclyde and also since. Um, I think that the reason I put that in, in a, a, a um, kind of pie chart in the middle, uh, almost with the arrows going round, is that I think those things, those terms actually overlap. So theory, practice, research and engagement are not things that, well certainly not engagement, but practice and theory, I don't think you can separate them as, as Kate's pointed out. You know. Um, practice actually deploys theories all the time. Um, being engaged with practice and theory um, can enable you to propose specific questions and research that you'd like to find out, you know, the itch that you want to scratch. Um, but what I will say is um, part of where I came from, and this actually goes back to when I was out of teaching for a little while and, and working in museums, um, and one of the things I took from there was a, a model of research and how you might do particular projects while engaged with um, particular jobs of work that you had to uh, complete. So I'm happy to talk a bit more about that and that's maybe something we can, we can uh, go into at some point. But what I will say a wee bit about is the archaeology and the, the philosophy there. Um, archaeo I, when I went back into teaching um, around 2011, I was heavily involved in both archaeology and philosophy uh, and I was conducting research in both. Um, and you may think, well, what does that have to do with school teaching? But actually, quite a lot when you start to think about it. Um, 
in the first instance, you might think philosophy is a very abstract thing. And yes, I mean, we could think of it in that way, and, and, and indeed it is. But actually, engaging with that abstract thinking, that abstract theorising, ultimately has to relate back to what it means to be human, right? After all, that's what, that's what we are, and that's what we're trying to find out more about. So what I found um, is that when I was you know, looking at very abstract things, it almost immediately started to impact on how I would engage with individual people, individual pupils, individual you know, people in my care. Because the abstract theorising about what it means to be human is, is you know, made flesh in front of you. So I found that it became something very um, relevant to my actual practice, this seemingly abstract research that I was engaging in. And that philosophy could be any, any manner of philosophical questioning from the nature of learning to the nature of um, uh, uh, knowledge itself. Okay? Um, archaeology, similarly, you may think of that as very practical. And yes, it is. You go into ditches or you dig ditches and you dig stuff up and you take it to museums and you date it and you do all that kind of stuff. But equally, there's an abstract dimension to that there as well. Because similarly with philosophy, when it asks you to think about what it means to be human, archaeology invites you to do that over the very long term. And you start to see different ways in which people have engaged with the world and have made sense of things over that length of time. So what I got from that, from the point of view of classroom practice, and indeed my perspective in education, is a long-term view, right? A, a deeply historical view about things and about the nature of change, which feeds very much into your research questioning, because as Kate's already pointed out, what learning is, what we think learning is, what we think education is, what we think school is, what we think all of these things are, that changes. And it can change quite dramatically. And there is no, there is no, extra, <coughs> there is no extra historical point that you can reach. You can't <coughs> step out of history, right? Everything we do is fundamentally related to the point of view of the culture and the historical period that we're in including all of our educational structures, and I would say especially our educational structures. Thank you. Thank you. Grab my water I'm okay. And now I'm going to hand over to Anna, who's going to come from a policy perspective. Hi. So um, I'm just going to talk about the wider context at the moment, so kind of zooming out to look at the wider context that shapes research engagement in schools. Um, so this diagram here, I just wanted to show the difference in terms of what's happened since the publication of Teaching Scotland's Future in 2011 um, to where we are now. And I've, I've put it as two separate things, but I think it's much more complex than this. But I think what we had in terms of the policy context in 2011 was something that valued teacher agency, teacher flexibility. It talked a lot about inquiry and seemed to want to provide the flexibility to be able to do that. And what we're seeing now is a much more focus on data, measurement within schools, and perhaps um, the, the, the value of a different kind of data. Um, and this all goes hand in hand with the governance reform, and more autonomy to schools, and of course that comes with more responsibility. Um, so I think there's been a bit of a shift in terms of teacher agency and what that might look like at the moment in schools. And I think we have to think about where does practitioner inquiry fit within this? What role can it play within this changing structure? And it's not to say that it can't, but I think we really need to push it within this space. Um, in terms of what policy says about research engagement in schools, obviously just now everything is pushed by the Scottish Attainment Challenge, um, which created the PEF funding, which of course prioritises a particular kind 
of data within schools. Um, around the same time as this, the OECD review was published, which did talk a little bit about practitioner inquiry and teachers and school leaders um, conducting collaborative inquiry together, but seemed to favour the focus on data, data on teacher performance and pupil performance within schools collected by outside researchers and standardised testing. Obviously from that came the National Improvement Framework, which does seek to gather data on all of these areas. And then um, a strategy for Scottish educational research was published to talk about how to support um, the implementation of the NIF. And at no point in this document does it mention teachers conducting research within schools or practitioner inquiry as a way to support the attainment gap. Um, it does, however, talk about the need to uh, bring in external researchers, um, which obviously led to the new toolkit, the Scottish toolkit, um, Scottish Attainment Challenge, which was produced by the EEF. So obviously all of this stuff is important and I'm not saying that we shouldn't value it, but I think there's a space for a different kind of data that can supplement what we're also doing just now in schools. And I think that's what practitioner inquiry can play within that space. And I think we need to be really careful in terms of how we think about how we support it and what we do with the inquiry um, at the end, how we incorporate that data into changing schools so that we're not just shifted into this very narrow conceptualization of what data is within schools. Okay. I hope you're getting um, an idea of how, uh, in a team, we've got lots of different ways and lenses for which to explore practice, and I think that's a very powerful thing, actually, it, and I think that valuing that in your school communities is also really important. Okay, I'm now going to hand over to Jonathan. Thanks, Kate. So, um, Anna's kind of zoomed out, and I'll, I'll zoom back in a little bit, really. Um, my, I just want to say a little bit about where I came from, because I'm a teacher, I'm a teaching fellow within the university, but most of my career I've been a secondary school teacher. And really, why do I care about practitioner inquiries? Because I'm a teacher. You know, I'm, I'm interested in how learning works. I'm interested in what I can do uh, to support my learners. So. As a psychology teacher is my main teaching subject, I've, um, I became very interested in memory. And it's perhaps quite a good example of what Anna's been saying, because you can read a lot about research and memory. Um, and one thing I became very interested in is the spacing effect, which is the idea that if we space out practice, people can remember things better than if you do a lot of very intensive practice. Um, but then you come to the question that I'm quite often asked, well, how much should we space things out? But the problem is, it's very context specific. It really depends on your learners and it depends what they're learning. Uh, so it's quite a good idea, perhaps, of that, that idea that, yes, we need external research, but we also need to think about our context and gather some data, perhaps, in, in, our, in our context. Um, so yeah, I've been involved with practitioner inquiry, although research is not part of my job. I engage in a lot of research, so these are some of my current things I'm, I'm involved with. So if anyone's interested in memory or metacognition, I'd love to have a, a chat with you because I can kind of uh, geek out about these things indefinitely, really. <laughs> Um, I suppose one thing that stimulated it for me is the idea of you know, what works and, and perhaps conversations with colleagues but also with pupils when people say things like in the revision they say well this, research, this, this study habit works for me and I would say well you know, how do you know that it works for you and they might say something like well I passed my exam last year and I did that so, and I would say well that's an experiment with one participant no control group um, you know, so we're looking at you know, people on the basis of hunches doing one thing or another, and it's quite similar for us as practitioners. How do we know that what we're doing works? 
And it can be a little bit scary when you start engaging with research, because maybe we'll find out something we've been doing, you know, there's evidence that it doesn't work very well. Um, but I think that can actually be quite empowering, so rather than being a threat to our professionalism, I'd really like to see it in terms of this issue of agency that Anna was talking about, I'd like to see it as potentially a tool for greater agency, because we're informed, we know what works, because we've read the research and we've gathered data in our context, then nobody can really come in and say, well, you should be doing that instead of that. Because who's better informed, really, the person who knows the pupils and the research, or the person who just knows the research in a more abstract uh, level? So I think it's potentially quite empowering. And we, as teachers, are in the best position to say what works if we've engaged with the research. So um, in terms of that, I suppose, in, in many ways, is the, is the why of engaging with petitioner inquiry for me. Um, but there's also a lot of practical questions, like I suppose a big one is when. <laughs> When do we do it? Because it's time consuming. Um, I think it can also be liberating though. You know, going back to the question I just raised, if we find out that something is more effective, that learners are going to learn better if we just change the order that we do something in, or we perhaps do a consolidation task a bit later rather than a bit sooner, that's actually going to free up time. We might find that something that we've been doing, like marking, doesn't actually make much impact. And therefore, that's potentially going to release quite a lot of our time. So, yes, yeah, certainly it can be time consuming, but there's also a matter of, you know, if we're going to do things more effectively, um, that could actually that could free up some time. And I think it's also, it's not just a question of time, but also identity. You know, does this matter to us? We find time for our hobbies, we find time for the things we love, for books that we love reading. If it really matters to us, if we really engage when we see the relevance, um, then I think that the, the time, you know, it might be a slow process or it might be a uh, it, you know, it might take a while to, to get to where we want to get, but we can get there gradually. Um, and also, of course, the know-how, the questions of who. Who do we apply this to? What research do we apply to um, our classes? And having the tools, having the knowledge to know what we're doing and to know how to analyse it, to know how to avoid bias um, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, as well as these, these sort of research skills, there's the broader systems, the support networks, the peer-to-peer, -peer, the Twitter um, support that we might get by you know, asking questions and getting some immediate uh, responses. I should have done what Philip and Anna did and put my Twitter handle on there, but I think it might be on the flyer. Um, yeah. Oh, it is on there. Oh, so it is. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so systems and networks, um, things like uh, school communities, uh, research reading groups, um, inter-school connections so we can share some of the load. Perhaps you have a, a colleague who's really good at stats and you're good at reading the research papers. Well, you know, you could potentially team up and, and work on that. So um, because I'm really interested in all this stuff, I wrote some of this stuff down in a book, which is not actually out yet, so you can't buy it. But um, uh, this is out later this summer, Teacher's Guide to Research. It's very much a practitioner's view of what was useful to me and perhaps it might be useful to, to some of you and some of your colleagues. Okay, thank you. I'll pass you back over to Kate. Jonathan asked if it was okay if he promoted his book when we were promoting our book. I said, of course, there's lots of views. And yeah, please. Okay, so we're moving on to um, the next section of this evening, um, the presentation. So now we've got these five different settings who are going to present their sort of experiences, their learning. You can see the guidance that I've given them quite tight in terms of number of slides and timings. So it's going to be pacey and it's going to be quick. Um, to introduce them, and you can see on the back of the flyer that you might have picked up when you registered, I've produced these models to show how I think what they're doing is slightly different. However, at the end, I will summarise what I think some of the core commonalities across those schools are. Um, 
So the first one up is Bears Den Academy. Now, Bears Den were involved with us through Anna and my PG cert in supporting teacher learning that has GTCS professional recognition. So um, East Dumbartonshire were, had put a number of teachers through um, and George, the head teacher at Bears Den, put about seven or eight, started off on the course at the beginning. So they were created a really strong cohort going through these master's modules together, talking about learning, professional learning, and, and undertaking an inquiry together. So I've got Neil and Peter who are going to come down and talk about that. Neil's not going to go into expressive dance, so I'm just going to say that publicly, so he's not going to go into expressive dance. No, come on then. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, we all worked together in three modules uh, as part of a master's and um, really the things that I think I gained from that are firstly uh, more a consideration of sort of all the things that are going on that affect us as teachers and, and how we plan out what we're doing um, and developing opportunities within the school. Um, so I'm one of the deputies in the school and one of the areas of my remit is looking at self-evaluation and learning teaching and a bit of leadership as well. And so one of the things I've been doing is trying to consider um, different models that would work in the school to support development and learning teaching, but also, um, I guess, bring teachers together to discuss what they think is important about learning teaching. Um, and the, the sort of policy and guidance in relation to that is also allowed us to look at family learning, how that fits into learning and teaching. Um, so following through, uh, looking at the context for learning, allowed me to have a better understanding of how family learning works, um, what are the drivers, that, what's kind of changing in it, and how I could present that to parents in a way that we might be able to get somewhere with it. Um, and trying to then use all that information to create the best opportunities with collegiate time, um, so that we're, using, we're making sure that people are engaged at times that suits them, um, which is a big theme of stuff we've done. Um, so I think we're focusing on like what, what's the effect for us and what we learned from it. And I would say the first thing is the ability to undertake professional reading from the start of the course to the end of the course um, has made a huge difference to me that I can look at something and I can I can take things out of it very quickly and understand how that might relate to something else I've read. And that wasn't a skill I really had before, so I found that really, really useful. A better understanding of the landscape around that that really informs the different things that go on in Scotland in particular is really, really useful. And it's, that's had a huge effect in terms of uh, understanding what's happening next and anticipating it. Um, one of the examples we were talking about earlier is anticipating that the local authority was going to start using the expression collaborative professional inquiry or petition inquiry things like that a year before they start putting into the things that we have to use which is actually really useful because it means that we don't have to sort of scrabble around and wait for someone to present to us what we're supposed to be doing so it saves a lot of time kind of understanding what's coming uh, and understanding the best practice in learning and thinking around the model of professional learning and that's been our focus this year has been speaking to groups of teachers and trying to build things in the school around that and I wouldn't say we've been particularly successful so far, but what we do have is we get now a group of people that have more experience of that process. They've got a lot of knowledge about why we thought of doing it that way. And I think we're starting to see them as being more active participants in the, that design process. So what we're looking for over the next few years is that that group of teachers will continually be added to it until we've got a critical mass of people that understand why it's important that we're engaging in this bit so that you can't say that in service day was rubbish. You have to say, our in-service day was good. So we're, that's our kind of process, but we're, we're, we're maybe about a quarter of the way there so far. 
So I looked at it from the from a kind of different perspective. So I'm a principal teacher of a pretty large uh, drama department at Bears End, and one of the things we looked at from that, and I also have a senior role within SQA, was looking at what Anna was talking about in terms of the kind of national policy and the assessment landscape and how actors within that were influencing that and how things were then coming down from the top down and were um, we were either to engage with or be dictated to. And one of the things that I took from the course was the idea of critiquing that and using the research that we were being taught about and encouraged to read to engage with that so that not only was it just a cynical criticism, it was objective and it was informed by research and literature. And one of the key things that uh, I was really keen on doing was this idea of metacognition because Kate had talked about it and Kate had talked about it for months and I sat and didn't have a clue what she was talking about. I just didn't, didn't have a, she would, would go on and I would go, I still don't get it. And then the penny dropped and I got really passionate about it and encouraged it with uh, my staff and to the point where the staff started critiquing it to the point where they said, well, what is, this metacognition is, is giving me the itch and this itch is the notion that, well, if, if this is leading me to practitioner inquiry, this is, to, is this to appease bodies such as scale or GTCS? Because I feel as if through metacognition, I want to do my own stuff. I want to engage with my own research. And we had a fascinating discussion about, about that and looking at it and again critiquing it. And I think that's the key word about it, is this idea that you're able to criticise it as teachers based on knowledge and experience and creating that activism. And that's the thing about the, the kind of thing in the middle, this idea that we want them to be active participants rather than practitioners or teachers who are dictated to by national bodies, by actors who are in a carousel and tell you what to do and then you carry it out. So for me, it was very much about developing the leadership, engaging with leadership capacity and, and developing my, the staff with that, and also equipping them with a better understanding of the local and national and even international context of where, where it all fits in. Because by doing that, they can, they can actually get on and do the job rather than be, be afraid of, are they doing the right thing? And then it becomes a tick box exercise. What actually happens is they're engaged and we're engaged because we are fully informed. So for me, the programme has been really refreshing. It's motivated me. It's, it's continued to give me an itch. Um, my, so I've, I've, got a, I've got a current one just now, and that's the one I'm going to do for my dissertation um, and follow it through. But it's been an absolutely fantastic programme and has really engaged the, the, certainly the staff within the school, but also the staff within, within my department to really seek this out. Um, so from that point of view, it's been a fantastic opportunity. So that's a model where um, the master's modules have formed the core of um, the activity, I suppose, and that gave us a formal structure to meet regularly. Um, it gave us a curriculum to follow, and there were certain outcomes. And I have to say that the stick of having assignments is quite useful sometimes, um, but it's not for everyone. So all the other modules have, um, all the other models I'm going to share don't have that master's element in it, but I thought it was worth sharing, and you'll see they all have different elements. So the next one is um, Preston Lodge High School. So um, Preston Lodge is, um, this one is tied in with the um, SCALE Teacher Leadership Programme. So a different model again, but tied in with something else. Um, Jenny and Mark, are you ready? Mark's needing a glass of wine, I think, before he does this, so. Um. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Give me 30 teenagers any day over this. Um, I'm a maths teacher 
in East Lothian, and that's quite an achievement, getting out in the day of higher maths and the day before Nat 5 maths. So it was a bit of a job to escape this morning. Um, I got involved in this a few years ago. Our school has a charitable trust, and they wanted some high-quality professional learning for the staff in the school. And we're both classroom teachers. I was asked, um, because I'd done inquiry, I'd had some experience of inquiry in the past, and was on the charter teacher programme at one point, I was asked if I would tutor a group in our school going through the programme. So in, in a sort of smaller version of what scale do themselves with much bigger groups and people who uh, do it completely online. Our model is done within our school and this year we've begun to expand it out into our pri feeder primary. We've only got one, but it's a, it's a step in the right direction. And in terms, from my point of view, <coughs> it wasn't clear to me at the beginning what my learning would be out of this because acting as tutor, you know, it's what is that learning about? But it's been absolutely fascinating. I've had lots of different people involved in the programme. We've, we've had about 13 over the two years it's been running so far. We're looking at ways to take those people forward as well as possibly starting another cohort next year. We're not quite sure how that will go. I've been involved in some of the work with SCALE, which has allowed me to do the, the work that they've been helping the tutors to learn about working online in groups, etc. But I've also been able to see what Kate does when she comes along to our school and the coaching element. And a lot of my work is going around and encouraging and helping people to focus in. Kate usually does that, and then it's just me trying to keep them on top of that and not letting it get too big an inquiry, keeping it focusing on something useful. And they'll say, is that enough? Yeah, it's enough. And so we've, it's gradually <coughs> getting tweaked. The, the roles, there are three of us kind of notionally involved. There's myself, has some more day-to-day -day input. I get a little bit of time in school to do this. There's a principal teacher who has a bit of responsibility for the more coordination of the, the role and, and anything that needs organised, etc. And then the head teacher, Gavin Clark, kind of oversees the whole thing. Um, and it's, it's a great way for me to get ideas for inquiry as well. I love inquiry and reading other people's ideas is fascinating. The teacher leadership programme in itself, people can go through GTCS and get professional recognition from that if they wish, but there's no particular need for them to do that if they don't want to. Mark was on last year's programme, so he's going to tell you a bit about his learning. <laughs> if I collapse, just step over me, just leave me be. All right. So I have absolutely nothing to do with the kind of the way that our model is put together. Quite simply, um, just a, a, a well, not just a teacher. Um, I was a teacher who was interested in inquiry, wanted to try something new, um, and decided to kind of jump into it. Um, at the point I did jump into it, I'd only been a teacher for three years, um, and I just thought, you know, let's just jump in it and kind of see what happens. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what I learned as a practitioner um, from using um, the model at Preston Lodge. So um, as Jenny said, um, our model is kind of ran internally. Um, and one of the benefits that I found from that was that in our school at any one time, um, we had quite a large number of kind of teachers who were undertaking an inquiry. Um, and the benefit from that came 
um, was that a lot of us actually started to have quite serious professional dialogue about our inquiries day to day. Um, so from a personal point of view, I was in a department of four and three of us in the department were like taking on an inquiry at the same time. And I noticed a huge difference in the standard of the conversation within the staff base. Um, obviously, there's days where we're all like a wee moan because we Johnny has been a nightmare. Um, but those conversations definitely shifted to a much more meaningful kind of professional dialogue. Um, every day we were discussing new ideas, coming up with potential solutions to problems, um, sharing good practice. Um, and that was just something that, as a practitioner, it really encouraged you that you kind of made the right decision in terms of undertaking an inquiry. Uh, I'm quite pleased to say that in the, kind of, the year since um, I took part in the inquiry uh, process, uh, last academic year, so this academic year, that kind of culture that we developed within the staff base um, has continued um, and it's been really kind of important and encouraging um, and we've managed to actually embed two of the kind of three ideas uh, department-wide um, and really from what we learned as practitioners was that inquiry is difficult on your own. Um, by collaborating and sitting down with people and having professional dialogue, one, it makes it just so much easier and enjoyable, but um, secondly, it just it makes you feel like you can do it, um, and we found that that was important. Um, again, um, as Jenny said, we follow the kind of the scale model, um, and there's a lot of features of that model and kind of structures put in place um, that really do kind of help you with your inquiry. Um, on a personal level, um, I never thought I would have an online blog, uh, but I did. Um, and I found that really useful because it allowed me to create some time for myself to actually sit down and reflect upon my practice um, and the learning that I'd done up to that point. Um, you know, as teachers, we're all really busy all the time and actually taking some serious real time to sit down and actually think and reflect upon your practice isn't always the easiest. Um, so I found that that was really, uh, really useful. Um, that time to reflect really kind of underpinned any kind of conversations we had with Jenny as a coach um, and this, uh, with Kate when she came in to kind of drop in our kind of expert opinion, uh, to be honest with you. An opinion. An opinion, <laughs> yes. Um, ultimately, by having that time to reflect, um, it made it much more kind of valuable, the conversations we had. Um, and it also made you realise that, uh, like um, Kate had said, that what you are inquiring doesn't have to change the world. It can be quite a small problem that you have in your classroom, but it's something that is bothering you in some way or another. Um, and it's certainly something that you can change, and it's something that you can change and have a lasting impact in, uh, with your practice. Uh, and then just finally, one of the kind of negatives about our model, um, or one of the perceived negatives of our model, is that um, staff members look at it when Jenny does a little... Uh, like LM, sales pitch. Yeah, sales pitch <laughs> at the start of the year, and they see that it lasts a full academic year, and quite a lot of staff are put off by that. Um, straight away, they're like, oh, I don't have the time, and, and things like that. But what we kind of, as practitioners, found and, and learned throughout the year was that you actually become, you actually start to really value and appreciate the time that you're given. Um, an inquiry doesn't have to be done quickly. Um, having that time allows you to reflect, it allows you to reflect on your learning, it allows you to plan your inquiry, it allows you to conduct your inquiry in a time that really suits you and makes it as comfortable um, as possible for the practitioner. Um, 
with that, we felt that the kind of the skills and the kind of structure that was put in place using our model really helped the practitioners learn the skills of inquiry. Um, like I say, I was only a teacher for three years. I'd done a little bit of inquiry, but I didn't really know a lot about it. By having that structure in place, it, it gave me the confidence and the skill set to kind of go on and complete an inquiry that was relatively successful. Um, but kind of the most important thing that we felt from it was that it just gave you a confidence. I think a lot of staff and teachers, they don't have the, the confidence to take on an inquiry. They think it's kind of beyond them. Um, but through this kind of model, it certainly sets you up to have success. And that obviously success is something that you can take on and you know, it's something that has a lasting Im impact in your department. And it's something that um, certainly that I've enjoyed and I'm you know, delighted that I was able to take part in it. Yep, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Just, we've now had about 13, 14 people go through that over the two years and we're looking to see how that can be taken forward and just gradually make a difference across the school. That's really what we would like to see happen. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think it's worth noting the Preston Lodge Learning Festival, which I think was reported in the TES a couple of weeks ago. And I think that's a really important part of sharing the outcomes of these professional learnings um, in a way that is um, inclusive and non-judgmental and very supportive. What I should also say is if you want Mark's autograph, his case study is in our book under surveys. He had a really innovative survey methodology in his classroom, so you can get him to sign the book if you win it later on. <laughs> it might be a bit squiffy after a glass of wine. Okay. Okay, so we've had two secondary schools, and I'm now going to pass on to Cleddon's Learning and Childcare Centre, and Leona's going to um, come up and have a conversation about that one. Okay. Thank you. Hi there, everybody. Um, I think um, since I'm probably the lone wolf and uh, voice of early years today, I think I'll just give you a wee bit of context um, about where I'm from and what we're doing. So I'm head of centre at Clyden's Early Learning Childcare Centre, and um, this project took part with a, a, a small team of seven of us initially. Um, we have moved into a brand new centre two years ago, and so therefore when Lorna and Kate came to us about this, um, inquiry project we thought this was just perfect timing for us really because we had a completely blank canvas with our new setting beautiful new building um, but we really you know we got to a point where we thought oh there's things that are just not working so when they came to us and asked us to sit down and think about things that we wanted to change or things that we felt needed just a you know a bit of a nudge in the right direction and um, we had that opportunity Initially, I had identified six other practitioners, including my, seven including myself, because I felt that they would really engage with it, and I thought that that was the most important thing initially. If we were going to continue with this model in the future, we needed people who were going to be really enthusiastic about it, which they have been. Um, we initially sat down and had a discussion about the sort of things we wanted to change, and pretty much um, we kind of came up with the same type of things. So um, we had an overview project, which really was from myself and the deputy's point of view. Um, we had seen things during our playroom observations that we thought were or weren't happening to do with areas not being engaged as well as others and a wee bit around gender issues as well. But because we were just jumping into the playrooms at certain times of the day, we, we thought that was what was happening, but we weren't entirely sure. So we didn't have any data really to back that up. 
Um, so that was we wanted to look at that and make sure that what we thought was correct was correct. Um, group A, so this, this project would overtake from myself and my deputy, and I must say that we're still in the middle of this. This is just a kind of beginning step for us. So we we are just about the point of concluding, concluding our overview project, and then someone else is going to kind of take over um, part of that from us um, and look at the literacy in the story corner. So that was one of the areas that we wanted to look at. The other area was the art area and developing the art area um, and, and taking that outdoors and that was part of what we wanted to do it was a practitioner inquiry with an arts based project and it was looking at indoors and outdoors so we, we all together realized that that was an issue children were loving playing in the outdoors boys in particular but they weren't really engaging in areas such as the art area and the other one was the small world area which had the opposite problem and um, it had lots of boys um, but very little girls and they were engaging very well in the small world area but it just wasn't big enough for them. And in taking that outdoors, we felt that that would, that would be a huge benefit to them. So we came up with a bit of a plan all together about how we would work. This was a really good opportunity for us to work together collaboratively. What, um, our, our context, again, is that we are with children every minute of the day that we work. So we don't have that time to have discussions at staff meetings. Um, we don't have time to do professional reading within our working day. Of course, we can do it at home. So we needed to include the children in our, our project, which was, which was excellent, because that's how we work anyway. We always take our planning from the children's point of view and we move forward in their interests. So what this meant for us was that, as early years practitioners, we're very good at change. And in fact, sometimes we're too good at change that we'll change an area weekly. <laughs> but it'll be our opinion and it won't be the children's opinion. But we might put it under the pretense of collaborative planning and say, oh, no, they wanted, you know, to change that into a cafe or, you know, whereas this really focused people's minds and actually it stopped them making changes. It made, they then made sure that it was exactly what the children wanted. They had to have data to back it up. So we used different forms of data for that. Um, we used things like 3D modelling that the children modelled. We used mapping, so that was from an adult perspective where we would map out where children were and then we gave it over to the children and asked them to map. Um, we had boards up with photographs of areas asking about preferred areas, children's choice, why they liked areas. And some of the things that they came up with we were you know, surprised by. And one of the issues for me was I felt that our book corner wasn't being used. Um, it was fine when there was an adult in it, but with no adult, the children weren't really utilising the space or they were using it for rolling about and wrestling. So that wasn't really the adult purpose of the area, if you like. But actually, when we went into it more deeply and asked the children why they liked the area, when the children asked each other what they liked about the area, a lot of them said, because it's quiet. So there you go, I wanted to make it busy, but in actual fact, that was, that was what they desired out of it. That was what they liked about it best. So we were really learning through the children um, at every point of the day. So the children really have fully developed these ideas with us and we have worked very collaboratively together, you know, as reflective practitioners and reflective children together, learning through this together. So it has been very good um, from that point of view. The other thing I would say is, as practitioners, we are great at observing in early years. We're great, in, great at what, watching what children do and observing what they've learned. And we see that we're using children's voice all the time. But again, when we really thought about it, 
we weren't really asking their opinion properly and I think in this instance we now learned that we could see what their opinion was and we were fully taking account of it better. Um, we were really recording their thoughts. We had floored books previously but these now are far more rich and uh, far more involved. So it's been a huge benefit in that way. Um, not all of our um, practitioners will have the opportunity um, to take part in, in research like this. Um, it's not a requirement of their SSSC registration in any way, shape or form, but we would, really would like to see it. Uh, one of the things I'm going to show you now, and you can watch it as it's going on. Can you not see not it? On oh screen. no! Hold on. So we're going to try and show you. A I can see it's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to try and show you a time-lapse video. So we had a time-lapse camera, and this has been the most innovative thing for us because when you're observing children, you get so involved with, oh, he needs a toilet, oh, he needs his nose wipes, or, oh, there's that mum at the door, or, you know, somebody's upset. So you end up not observing the children correctly, um, you know, because you're so distracted. So what we found was this would give us a huge chunk of the day, um, and we could sit for a few minutes at the end of the day and watch it. Um, it also allowed us time as practitioners to reflect quite quickly, you know, on how things went. So what we're doing here in this video is, um, this is part of the art area. So the art area leads to the outdoors. Now, never before did the children know that this led to an outdoor art area, apart from the children who designed the out, out, outdoor area. And you can see it's quite a quiet area. A couple of children really concentrating well, <laughs> excuse me, on self-portrait. Few children coming and going. You can see that the children that are there are engaged. There's a lot of wandering back and forwards. I don't really know what's going on. So um, in a few minutes, things start to change. Now this is kind of this kind of goes over about an hour. Um, this video, the door has opened to the outdoors. So this is new. This is a new experience to these children. Outdoors is a planned area for art, and the children have helped develop this area. But they've ne they've never really appreciated that this door leads to the outdoors. So part of it is that we will now introduce this as a free flow area. Um, and that's, been, that's taken us time um, to build up our confidence and really understand what we wanted to do with this section of the outdoors. The rest of the outdoor area is fabulous. But you can start to see how busy <laughs> it gets when they realise. What you can actually see is the amount of children that are going up to Lucy, the practitioner in the area, and saying, are we allowed? Can we go outdoors? And it's just a complete influx of people going in and out. Um, it makes it look because it's happening so quickly mm -hmm. that there's not a lot going on, but there's a huge amount going on. And obviously outdoors, what you're not seeing is the art area and how that's been developed with the members of staff who are outdoors. So I would say that certainly, um, you know, introducing all these different types of data that we've never had access to or didn't think about before, um, you know, creating picture graphs with the children and voting systems. We've used voting systems before, but really, really thinking about what they would like to see as an improvement and trying to put that into place um, has been very beneficial to us. It also means that because we are always together as a staff team, and in this staff team there's 114 children at any one time in this three to five room, so there's around 20 staff at any one time. It means that they can see that other people are really involved in something and starting to wonder what that is. And it's been a fantastic role modelling experience, I think, for other practitioners to see, hey, wait a minute, what are they up to? And we all, the seven of us feel like a wee bit of a team, 
you know, and it's like, well, if you want to join our team, this is what you have to do. So people are starting to show an interest, um, and uh, I, I think it will continue, and I think it will grow, uh, arms and legs, hopefully. Thank you. Thanks. I'm so relieved that worked. I know that. I've been worrying about it. Okay, so our next um, example is from Borough Muir High School in Edinburgh. Now, this is um, relatively similar to what was done at Preston Lodge and that we're doing at Cleddon's, but it's um, a group coaching. So it's much more of a group coaching session is what we come in and do. So the group are coming to do the presentation. Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, as Kate says, we're from Boromir High School. I'm Juliet Presley. I'm uh, one of the deputy heads. Uh, this is our model that was, I'm not sure if they know it, inspired by Preston Lodge, so it was really nice to hear them earlier on. And this is just the kind of background, so I'm just going to introduce the sort of background a wee bit about our story, and then I'm going to hand over to Fraser um, and to Dave to, to take us through um, our experience and I think what we've got out of um, the last year. So this has just been a year. Um, going back uh, before uh, June last year, we went to the, the Bosch conference a uh, year past December, um, which is building our curriculum self-help group, if you haven't heard of that, and Preston Lodge, uh, Gavin Clark was presenting their Teacher Leadership Academy, and we went along and we thought, that sounds really interesting, what are they up to? And part of that process is you get a visit to the school, so we went to visit in June and we thought, this sounds really interesting, how can we make this work um, in our setting? And one of the things that they said that was uh, really successful and gave them a huge amount of support was uh, Kate Wall. So they said, get Kate Wall. So we got Kate Wall. <laughs> and uh, she uh, happily came and helped us uh, through the last year and supported our model of practitioner inquiry that Fraser and uh, Dave are going to say a wee bit more about. We've, we've sort of shared wee bits with our colleagues and we're about to move on to our kind of second year to get more people involved um, in our model and um, you'll hear a wee bit more about it. This is our group um, made up of quite a number of people. Jo, uh, who's our CL of Maths, is here as well. Um, Hilary, who was one of our group, has moved on to another school, but she's also completed her practitioner inquiry, so we've kind of changed a wee bit and uh, sort of morphed in and out as a group. But I think Fraser is going to tell us a little bit more. Yeah, so if I describe this well enough, hopefully you'll leave here with an idea of how you can maybe start practitioner inquiry in your environment. Um, when we last met with Kate and Anna, much to our amusement, they suggest that our model was innovative and different. Because to be honest with you, ours just sort of happened. We went on to Preston Lodge, thought it was a great idea, we'll give it a shot. And what we came out with was a group of teachers at different levels um, throughout the school, a variety of different subjects, and we all came together and decided we'll give this a shot. Um, and even though Juliet was DHT, she was as much a practitioner in this as the rest of us were. And that resulted in quite a flat structure. Um, this meant that we were pretty much a sounding board for each other's ideas. So we'd go along to one of our meetings, um, we'd say, this is a topic I'm interested in, and we'd try and create a research question with the help of each other. So whilst I'm struggling with my own topic, I'll be giving Julia or Dave suggestions on their, on their topics, and they'd be doing the same thing to me. And it turned out that it was really, really effective. And Kind of deliberately, we didn't attach any accreditation or qualification to this. Um, education probably has enough deadlines without putting ones in yourself as well. So we left it as just something for us to do that would satisfy an interest. Um, but most importantly, the reason we think it's been successful is whilst we've been a great help to each other, uh, we had Kate Wall who would parachute in um, at sort of every couple of months to make sure we weren't going off task. 
and uh, our son recently suggested that she's gone across to the dark side. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd counter that by suggesting that she is our Yoda. And, um, He's very proud. <laughs> I bet. You know, we'd be struggling with this idea of, oh, I'm investigating independent learning, but I don't know what question is. And Kate would go, what are you actually interested in? And next thing you know, you've got a research question and you're off. So if you're going to do this, Kate or Anna now as well is the person to go for. So please, please, please get them in. Now, from our perspective, um, give you an idea of a model, but also why should you do this? And this is very much from our own personal experience here. We've probably all been to a course where we're sitting there thinking, this is not relevant to us in the slightest. My school is totally different, my classroom is totally different, my style of teaching is totally different. If you engage in petitioner inquiry, you get to pick what it is you investigate. And when you're interested in something and you decide it, that self-determination, you're going to stick it out. You are, because it is in your best interest to stick it out. Something that's very personal to me as well is that the day-to-day -day rigmarole of teaching the same courses over and over again for the last six years has been sort of getting me down a little bit, if that's not oversharing. So petition inquiry for me was something totally different that kept me going throughout the week. And it's been a real benefit to me to have the chance to go and meet with my colleagues and discuss learning and teaching, but also something that's a little bit intellectually stimulating as well. Kate would come in and talk about metacognition, I'd have to go and look it up. So that alone made my week just a bit better. And finally, the big message of why you should do this have to emphasise this is not about producing academic standard research. That might be the byproduct if you get really into this, but it's just something fun and a bit different. And ultimately, it's going to have a positive effect on your practice and your learners. And Dave's going to tell you what we're going to move on to next and uh, our sort of overall vision for where we go with practitioner inquiry. Okay, so our slide says next step 2019-20, but in reality, this is a longer kind of term project. This isn't going to change overnight. We're not going to change the culture overnight. It's going to take a good few years. Okay, It's not going to happen straight away. So what we want to do is create a culture of professional learning at Borough Muir where staff actually have the desire to develop and make change and also try new things. Now, we did discuss maybe having everybody in the school taking part in a practitioner inquiry, but we thought it wouldn't have as big an impact. Initially, what we wanted to get people who actually had a want, they had an interest, and a desire to actually get involved because we thought, yeah, that will that will increase engagement, that will that will have a big, big impact. We also wanted to address a couple of misconceptions when it came to practitioner inquiry. One of them's been mentioned already. Um, practitioner inquiry increases the workload. Yeah, initially it does, okay? It takes a little bit of thinking time, it takes a little bit of time to set up. But what's been mentioned already, um, we've experienced Practitioner inquiry is actually going to make things better in your classroom and we've felt that it's actually reduced workload um, on a number of occasions throughout the year. So that's been a really positive thing for us and that's something we want to get across to our staff in Buttermere High School. Our second misconception was people who sign up to practitioner inquiry are people who want permanent jobs or a promotion. <laughs> um, we want to try and encourage every member of staff from probationers all the way up to the head teacher uh, to engage in practitioner inquiry. And if we can do that, hopefully we can have more and more people contributing to our whole school improvement plan. One of the things that came up at a recent whole school survey was that a lot of our teachers felt that they weren't having um, enough input into our whole school development plans. And hopefully if we can get more and more people throughout the school engaging in practitioner inquiry, that's going to be a kind of route into contributing more to our improvement plan. So how are we going to do this? Um, on Tuesday we're actually presenting at one of our in-service day programmes where 
Uh, we're going to share our experiences of the practitioner inquiry last year. We're also going to um, offer opportunities for uh, more and more staff to get involved in practitioner inquiry in the next session. We're going to act as mentors for the new set of staff who are going to come into the inquiry and we're going to also get some support from Kate moving into next year. Um, and hopefully that can build and get bigger and bigger over the next few years. So that's where we're, that's where we're at at the moment. It's still a work in progress, but definitely really enjoyed it this year. It's been great. Thank you. Right. Um, our final model is um, William Wood High School in East Wren. Um, now, Kate is standing in at the last minute. I sent her an email last night at about nine o'clock saying that David from the council, from the local authority, was ill. Could she come? So she's dropped her revision class like a stone and hot-footed it here. Um, so Kate's provided slides to, and yeah, on the, yeah, on the hoof. Thanks, Kate. Hello. Um, as Kate said, I was brought in at the last minute, but I am actively involved in this project. Um, I was teaching my revision class until half past four and then dived in a taxi to get here on time. So I'm glad I made it, but I didn't realise the door was at the front of the lecture theatre and thought I could just sneak in. So I'm very glad that there was a seat in the corner. Um, to give you a bit of background on this, I'm one of the deputy head teachers in Williamwood. And through this past year, we've been evaluate, evaluating our own professional model, I suppose, of CLPL and want to do something a little bit different. And um, what we do, or what we did th in this last year, is that staff get their PRDs, they buy into their own um, CLPL, it might be in the school, might be in the local authority or national, but they choose which courses they do. In addition to that, we have six whole school collegiate activities. Now, I don't know if it's a Scottish accent, but if we call them whiskers. But when I say whiskers, no one hears whiskers, they hear whisper, they hear something else. So it's whole school collegiate activities. And through those hour and a half sessions after school, all our staff engage in CLPL within the building. Now that CLPL was always led by the school improvement plan. But what we would do is we might decide we're working on aspects of visible learning, say plenaries and success criteria, then everyone in the school will be doing that. And then three, four weeks later, we might be working on differentiation, and all the staff in the school are doing that. And you have six of these sessions. And it's a model that's worked in some ways, but the feedback in the last year from staff was, you introduce us to this and you want us to try and embed this in the classroom. And then four weeks later, you introduce us to something else. And the nature of the beast in teaching is you get all this information, you are swamped, absolutely swamped. I see a lot of people nodding. And teachers work very, very hard. But there's a limit to what they can fit in in a school day. And the staff just felt it was too much, far too much. You're moving on and not getting a chance to do anything. So we were in a position as a school that we listened to the staff and we, they said to us, we want to concentrate on one thing throughout the year. But what one math teacher might want to concentrate on, someone else will want to concentrate on something different. So we had already decided that we were going to introduce a new model of professional learning. Now, Call it serendipity, and it was totally by chance. My head teacher spoke to me and said, listen, Strathclyde University have been in talks with our authority. They want to work with a school and work with the authority to create a new research hub on practitioner inquiry and research. And it's exactly what we were looking for as a school. So this came at the exact time. Now, what we're hoping to do, and this is over a number of years, and we are so early in our journey, 
that the first time Kate's coming out to the school to speak to the whole staff is next Tuesday. So that's where I am. So I can't tell you my learning about this or anything else, but what I can say is what led us to this point and what our vision is. But the research hub will be over a number of years. We are creating a physical research hub within our library in the school. We are going to create this new model this year within William Wood. We're going to work with our staff and our pupils. Next year, we will look at extending that to our cluster primary schools and then the following year create, a, 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 create that and extend it to all schools or any schools within our local authority and then further and beyond. So it's quite an exciting project, it's quite daunting in some ways as well but we are so excited about it. For me, um, staff buy into pockets of masters and practitioner inquiry, I think we've got about seven or eight teachers just now conducting a practitioner inquiry but it's all in pockets. And for me, it's part of the GTC standards that staff should be critically engaging in practical inquiry and in research, but you have to create time for it. So what we have decided to do this year in our whole school collegiate activities is throughout May and June, Kate's already met with the principal teachers who in May and June are conducting PRDs. In addition to that, the staff in our school will all get a group coaching session, six to eight staff together, and through May and June, what we're going to do is support our staff to come up with something that they want to work on over the next year. It has to have an impact on learning teaching. It's got to be about one of their classes or pupils that they teach. It's got to be very personal to them. And then when people are doing things that are similar, we will group them together so that they're working collaboratively. We are giving them time because when they decide what they want to do, and that's by the end of August, the staff will be given time in the whole school collegiate activities. So from next year onward, our whole school collegiate activities will be on practitioner inquiry and research and giving the staff the time to actually do it. So if a staff member wants to look at Google Classroom and how they can use that part of digital learning to enhance their learning and teaching, they will be given time in the whole school collegiate activities to develop that. Staff need time and they need space and they need to feel supported. And that's very important to me. So when they get that allocation of time and support, then I think things will move better. And if you think about this, we're trying to embed a culture of practitioner inquiry and research within our school that has an impact on learning and teaching. If all staff are involved in that, however small, that can only lift a whole school. So we are very, very, very excited about this. I'm just checking because I only emailed my slides to Kate at what, half that's eleven that's today. Is that the last yeah. one? So I can't really tell you about how it's going to go. I can tell you I'm excited about it, but I can't see any more. And the support, obviously, that we're getting from Strathclyde University will be invaluable. Thank you. One of the things I said, I spoke to the principal teachers on Monday last this week. This yeah, week. This week. Um, it's been a long week. Um, and um, I said, this is an inquiry for me. So my inquiry is whether this idea of a research hub will work in Williamwood. I, we're ha gonna have to have an open dialogue around how this is working. Um, I have no idea whether the um, group coaching sessions of 10 members of staff to get through the whole staff is gonna be uh, too big to be manageable. Um, can we come up with tools that will support that kind of conversation in those kind of size groups? 
all four of us that have presented today will be involved in those and all of us come with different perspectives and different ideas of what practitioner inquiry might look like and so how does that run out so there is a there's an open inquiry that's going at multiple levels um, but I think that's a strength and I think that by admitting that I'm learning and don't have all the answers then I am modeling a practitioner inquiry standpoint that's really important for everyone so just to finish off um, I think that um, it's worth mentioning um, some of the principles of um, practitioner inquiry that I think are um, common across, although maybe with different emphasis in all those examples that we've heard from. So we have the principle of autonomy, this idea that you are in control of your learning, this bottom-up approach that you decide what the students in your setting need and which questions that you want to focus on. That means you also own whether the answers are that it works or it doesn't work. But that's autonomy, so there's, there's, there's not all positives, it's not all rosy, but you have to be ready for accepting when it doesn't work, and how do you explain that, and how do you share that? And that leads to the principle of disturbance. If you're asking questions about your practice, then you might find out what you didn't expect. Most inquiry questions don't lead to neat answers. They lead to lots of new questions, and actually, are you ready for that? Are you ready for that continuous learning? Um, are you, and are the people around you ready for that, to hear that I haven't, got, I haven't solved this, I've got something that's more complicated actually, and now I need to totally ask the kids what they think and we're going to ch completely change the way this is done. Um, the principle of dialogue, there is the real massive importance that this is shared, the different structures for sharing, whether it's via a master's module, or whether it's in group coaching, or whether it's through a learning festival, you know, what works for you and thinking about that um, space for having a conversation. I think there's formal spaces you can hear across all those examples, but there's also informal spaces. So how does that um, manifest and how do we support those conversations? The um, fourth one that we added at a later date, so in the paper that's written there, the three, but we've added the fourth one um, through talking to teachers, is the principle of connectivity. This should connect to the other things that you're doing. It shouldn't be separate, it shouldn't be something that is isolated. Practitioner inquiry for me um, is related to voice, it's about teachers having voice, it's about teachers having a say, it's related to metacognition, a word that's come up multiple times, um, I'm sure some people will go look that up when they get home. Um, it's related to teaching and learning and actually how teachers learn is not that dissimilar to how kids learn. And I don't think it's coincidence that for those teachers that do practitioner inquiry, um, inquiry-based pedagogies start appearing in their classrooms. It's, it's, it's not coincidence. So my concluding thoughts, um, it's this models of coaching and mentoring. If you want to follow someone who's saying something really novel and useful about coaching and mentoring in the process, then follow Rachel Lofthouse on um, Twitter. Her collective ed um, papers are really helpful in giving a view. I'm no expert as a coach, but I think I can go in and be a critical friend. I'm really good at coming up with questions. And I don't pretend that I understand your context and I have the answers that work in your space. Your practice is your practice. I can ask you stuff that might make you think differently about that, but I'm not going to pretend that I have the answers for that. It is about finding time and space. It's quite interesting to hear the different models around how schools have found space to talk about inquiry and to fit inquiry into people's busy lives. Um, it's about the tools and these um, techniques for supporting that. Um, if you come to our um, book launch later on, then um, we'll be talking a bit about the tools that we've developed in the book um, to support that inquiry process. If you haven't registered that for an event but you fancy coming, just please gate crash.
um, feel free. I'm sh don't tell Engage I said that, but yeah, please get crash. Um, it's going to start in about half an hour, so it's not too long to wait. Um, and there will be wine afterwards. Um, we think opportunities to share. And, and uh, so my work is um, in, uh, my other part of my work is around student voice. And in student voice, we often think about brave spaces, spaces when um, you can speak out, brave spaces where you can um, be quite tentative. I think that concept of brave spaces stands for how teachers need, what teachers need um, when they're talking about inquiry. You need spaces to be tentative. You need spaces to be quite emergent in your thinking. You need spaces where you can say something that um, is quite controversial. And Elaine, put your hands over your ears. I was thinking of trying learning styles. So, no, no, my, really? But sometimes I've seen it work. Not as a tool, as a, a label for kids to have, but as a mechanism for conversations about learning, it works a treat. I'm not saying do it and read Elaine's papers. She spent two years of her life doing learning styles questionnaires and is quite passionate about it. There is no there. <laughs> okay. So, um, but thinking about con those brave spaces, the voice, the role of informed voice, who has the expertise? It's quite interesting, those um, schools where the head teachers are getting involved in practitioner inquiry, it's quite a, model, a powerful model of leadership to say, actually, I don't have all the answers, I've got lots of questions, just like you. Just like the MQTs that are coming into our schools, I've got lots of questions. We need more of that. So often I come to, to schools to talk about practitioner inquiry, I'm introduced by the head teacher and then they leave. And I think that's a really 